Hosea chapter 8, starting with verse number 1, and it reads as follows. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed my law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good, and the enemy shall pursue them. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver... Okay, let's try that again. Uh, Verse number uh, four. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew knew it not. Of their silver and gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also, the workmen made it. Therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. And as no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Israel swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them. And they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They sacrificed flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings, and eat it. But the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity, and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel hath forgotten his maker, and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities, and I will send a fire upon the cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Let's pray before we look at these verses today. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have the opportunity to study and learn from it, and get the wisdom from it the best we can. Be with me now as I try to share some of that the best I can, and hopefully do a good job for you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing our study of the book of Hosea here in our Sunday school. If you remember, we're studying this uh, second part of the book of Hosea, the prophetic part, where uh, God, speaking through Hosea, lays out a bunch of messages to Israel, giving them, you know, his thoughts, his instructions, his warning. It's been proceeding in kind of like a logical way. In chapter 4, we saw the accusation. This is what you guys are doing wrong. Lays it out there. God lays out there for them. These are all the sin, your idolatry, your whoredom, your so on and so forth. Then in chapter 5, we hear about the pending judgment, right? Judgment is coming, right? You did something wrong. There's a punishment, right? A warning to them. Like, hey, this is what it's going to be like. Chapter 6, we read, was the call for repentance. Repentance. Right? A reminder that, hey, if you come back, God has mercy. God has mercy. Chapter 7, which we studied last time, the first half and the second half of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is a response to that call for repentance. The response of Israel is that they continue to reject God. They do not accept that chance for redemption. Instead, they continue on. They are so set in their ways of wickedness they cannot let it go. 
they continue down those ways. Last time specifically, last time specifically, um, what we talk about, we talked about how um, instead of turning back to God, they turned to other countries. Right back then, it was like, oh, we turned to uh, Egypt and Assyria, right? That they had problems. Instead of solving their problems by repenting, turning to God, asking God for help, their response was looking for other men, right? That they found their hope in man. And what we said last time is, of course, is that that's a foolish way to look for the answers. That if we rely on other people to help solve our problems... It's not going to be a solution, right? But we know that's the way the world works, right? They want to see if we can turn to our human ways, whatever it is. And maybe that will make me feel better. But, and it doesn't make us feel better. The only thing that, that secure all, that really can solve all our problems, is God. Only God can heal everything. Only God can save everything. Because God is our all-powerful. God is our Savior. And again, we talked about all the parallels in this book, right? Whether it be from Hosea and Gomer, right? About their relationship, how similar it is to start off to talk about how there was uh, a condemnation, right? There was a judgment, a call to come back. All those same elements, the same elements that are in our lives today. That we sinned, that there's a judgment for our sin, that... There's a call to come back from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who can save us from our sins. And yes, there's many that will reject that call. They'll reject the call just like people in Hosea's day. And they will turn to solutions of their own earthly, uh, earthly solutions to try to solve their problems when God is the true solution. So that's chapters 4 to 7. Let's move on to chapter 8 today. Chapter 8 is a continuation. So we just saw in chapter 7, they rejected. They rejected, calls, rejected God's call for repentance. Chapter 8 is the aftermath of that. So they said, no. What does God say? Well, God lays it out there again. Well, this is what you guys have done. And this is what you have brought against yourselves because you have rejected my, off, my great, merciful, loving offer of repentance. Right? It says in verse number one, right? The trumpet to the mouth, right? It's a symbol of battle. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and trans- trespassed my, my law, right? Again, back to the initial uh, accusations. Look, this is what you guys did, right? This is what you guys did. And when it turns out, verse two, when Israel shall cry to me, what happens? And, and, and verse three, Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. But, but what does God say? He continues to say the accusation. Verse 4, they have set up kings, but not by me. Right? They used their silver, their gold, made them idols. Right? Uh, going forward a little bit more, right? Verse 7, they have sown the wind and shall reap the whirlwind. Right? This goes to that famous principle of you reap what you sow. Right? They sowed the wind. They sowed all this stuff that was bad. I guess no surprise that what comes next, the whirlwind, right? Verse 8, Israel is swallowed up now, right? They shall be among the Gentiles. Verse number 9, again, we talked about how they had gone to other countries, right? They have gone up to Assyria, 
right? They wouldn't didn't turn to God. They tried to turn to the Assyrians, right? And then in verse number, uh, let's see, another highlight, verse number 11, they made many altars. What kind of altars? Not altars to God. Altars to sin. Altars to sin. Verse 13, they sacrificed flesh for the sacrifice of my offerings, but eat it. But the, and, but the Lord accepted it not, right? The Lord will do what instead? Remember their iniquity and visit their sins. Why? Verse 14, wrapping it up, Israel hath forgotten his maker. And the result, I will send a fire upon its cities and devour the palaces thereof. So, in short, because they rejected the call to repentance, God reaffirms that, hey, this is what's going to happen to you. The punishment is coming. The judgment is coming. And he predicts, and he predicts, and I bet this was true, and this happened, that when that judgment comes, some will cry out, right? Verse 2, they'll cry out and say, God, we know you. Why are you doing this? Right? Because they would figure, hey, we are Israel. We are your children, right? The children of Israel, God's children. We know you. Come save us. Come help us. And God says he won't. Why is that? We read in detail here in these verses here. We highlighted the key verses of all the iniquity, all the things committed by Israel that God could not just turn back from and say, oh, well, you didn't repent. So what about all these things that you guys did, right? And it was a long laundry list here. We see once again. That's the way that uh, Israel acted, right? They had this thought. Like, hey, you know, I know you, God, right? God, you're part of our life. Now that things are finally going really bad, we're going to say, hey, God, why aren't you helping us? Well, what's going on, right? And I think this attitude kind of reflects the attitude of many in the world today also that purportedly know God and get surprised sometimes when God is not there for them and God is not they are supporting them, right? You might be surprised, right? Because I think uh, a lot of people view belief in God as more of like a cultural thing, right? Instead of really our faith, right? Following God is a matter of faith. Following God is a matter of obedience. People in Israel's days, back in the days of Hosea, that's not the way they lived their lives. That's why they had this judgment coming to them. And a lot of people today, sadly, follow that same path. You know, you take a look at all these surveys and statistics and stuff. We know that there's many, many people in the world that say, yes, I believe in God. I believe in God. But I would dare say that not many of these people that profess a belief in God are actually Christians, right? They might wind up like these people in the Bible days where they cry unto God in their hour of need and God acts as if he doesn't know them. Right? Guys, like, like we recently, when we went, Elaine and I went to Europe, right? A lot of the sites everywhere, when you go to the tourist attraction, where are all these tourist attractions we went to? A lot of them are like churches, right? You see churches everywhere, right? Oh, you're going to, uh, to London, we go to see the Westminster Abbey, the St. Paul's Church. We went to France, right? We went to see the Notre Dame Cathedral. All the famous sites, they all seem to be churches and stuff, right? All these things, right? 
in different churches. And in some countries, in many of these European countries, when you look at well, what kind of churches are these, right? Many of them are what they call like official churches too, right? Like for example, you guys heard of the Church of England, right? When you go to the Westminster Abbey, that's part of the Church of England. The church is so ingrained, it's like the national church, right? It's the national church of the whole country, government endorsed. Yet, when you go on a Sunday morning and walk around these places, how many people actually go to church? We also know from statistics and surveys and stuff like that, that church attendance in somewhere in places like Europe is low, much lower than the United States. But yet everyone there would say, hey, you know, we believe in God. We know about God. We've had all these churches, monuments for thousands of years. We, we've had this tradition in our country, right? We've had the Westminster Abbey, the whatever, right? But no one goes there to worship. I think that's kind of the same attitude that people have gotten sucked into in Hosea's day that people get sucked in today. Where worshiping God is not really about worshiping God. It's just about your culture, your heritage. If you guys go to work, you know, at work, you guys might have people that you know that are exactly like this. And I, and I, I know from my own experience of other people at work, you talk to people, especially like, you know, not to be racist or white people, right? A lot of them, you talk to them, they say, yeah, you know, when I grew up, my parents made me go to church like every week or whatever, right? Or, you know, we go to, we, we went to Christian schools or, you know, they, they know that that's their family background, right? Their family background is, oh, we grew up in Texas or whatever. We go to church all the time or we grew up wherever and that's what we did, you know? And that's what my parents made me do and this and that. But I don't do that anymore, right? Or their attitude is like, yeah, I am Christian. That's what I grew up in and I'll go on Christmas and then on Easter, right? And that's kind of a lot of these people, their attitude toward it, right? And people that have that attitude, they wind up just doing whatever they want in addition, right? They say in their mouth, right? Oh, they can cry unto God, right? Just like the people in Hosea's day, right? They can cry unto God their mouth and say all this stuff about, oh yeah, God, this and that. But they live their life, they live their life also like the people of Hosea's day. They go do whatever they want. And that's, of course, leading down the wrong path. Now, hopefully, I think a lot of us we haven't grown up in that tradition and won't fall into that trap as easily. But I do worry for our own kids, right? Why do we make such an emphasis on, oh, do we have a good Sunday school for our kids? Do we have a good support network for our kids? Because we don't want them to ever feel like, I'm just showing up to church because my parents forced me to, right? I only care, I don't really care about God's stuff, but I have to do it. This is my obligation. This is my family thing. No. Becoming a Christian is not about being part of, you know, just because our family told you to do it and your mom dad told you to do it. It's about having a real relationship with God, a relationship of faith and obedience. Relationship that the people of Israel didn't have back then. How much so? Well, we look at their priorities. We look at what they did here. When we look in verse 4, it talks about their government, right? If you remember, back in the days, Israel, their government was supposed to have life. They're originally, the kings even were appointed by, by God. God is selecting the government. What does it say now? Ah, they pick their own people. Pick up their own kings, pick their own princes, right? What do they do with their silver and gold, their treasured possessions? What's their priority to do with them? They give it to God? No. It says they use them to make idols, right? Verse 5. Thy calf. What does that remind us of? It reminds us of, you know, back in Aaron's day, right? When they made the golden calf, right? Once again, Israel is falling into this. We use our gold and silver to make idols. That shows their true priority. They can talk all they want and crying to God. 
but they put their money where their mouth is, right? You can tell a lot about what people care about. We look at where the money goes, right? The money went to idolatry, quite literally, back then. And you know, it was interesting, last, last week when uh, Ken Lallman was here, he was kind of talking about that too, talking about all of us uh, and, uh, you know, about, how, about his life, right? In comparison, about how his money is gone and how he dedicated his life to service. We can see what his priority is, right? He was talking about how maybe he, if he had worked hard at a job or whatever, maybe he'd have a house by now, right? Instead, he's been renting his whole life. Why is that? He's dedicated his life, his money, his energy to serving God. We know that he is an honest and, and uh, pure servant. Why is that? Because he put his money where his mouth is, right? He put his money literally all to God, all to, to doing this ministry in China, right? No doubting it there. When we reflect on our own lives, do we see us putting the priority in the right things? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with owning a house and having a house and all that good things because part of our duty as a, as a Christian, as a family member, is obviously provide for our family, right? It's also be a very bad testimony if we were homeless, right? God doesn't want us to be homeless or anything like that, right? But, you know, obviously that makes sense, right? You know, I look at my own budget. Probably the number one thing I spend money on is the house, right? You have mortgage, insurance, property taxes, all those type of things, right? And so that's important. You got to do that, right? And probably another thing I spend so much money on is family, right? Child care, school, kids need their food and this and that. Obviously, I take care of your family and the household and all that kind of things, right? But one of the surprising things when we look at every once in a while when Elaine and I sit down and look at our line items is we look at how far up the list is our tithes and offering. Sometimes it's kind of frustrating. It's like, oh boy, look, if we had taken off this line item and used this for something else, we could have another vacation, right? We could have another, you know, nice car. We could have another whatever, right? There's like a whole like big fat line item there right near the top. All these are like money that goes to God. But, you know, I say, well, that's our priority. Our priority is to obey God. God says he wants our tithe. Therefore, our priority is to make sure it's up there, right? There's so many things people can spend their money on, right? And it reveals what their priority is. You guys saw the news this week for the Warriors championship uh, game on Monday. Some crazy guy out there spent $133,000 to buy a ticket to game five to see the Warriors win the championship. $133,000. That's to me just sounds crazy, right? What kind of things could you do with $133,000? I really wish I had $133,000, right? So many things I could do with that, right? And fit into my own life, my own priorities. But you know, that's the priority that guy chose. The Warriors are so important. I will dump all my money into it, right? That guy revealed what is important to him, right? And as we evaluate our own lives, we should evaluate how our money goes too. There's people that do that, even on, not necessarily on the same high scale, right? Not necessarily only with their money, but with their time, their effort. Look at all these things that God gave the example of how Israel had gone wrong, right? They made altars, right? Not altars to him, but altars to sin. That's what they're spending their time doing. They say with their mouth, hey, God, I'm your child. But their actions, their time is spent doing the wrong thing. Look at all the people that spend so much time. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about the Warriors, right? Because I watch the Warriors too. But look at some of the crazy fans that spend all their time accessing about the Warriors, right? 
They, they decide, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and on Thursday morning to go to the parade so I can have the spot right in front and watch the rally. Those same people that wake up at 5 a.m. and wait out there. I bet how many of them would say, would I wake up, for example, at 9 o'clock on a Sunday to make sure I get to church on time, right? Would I wake up extra early to make sure I have enough time to pray to God in the morning, to read my Bible? Is that their priority? Or is their priority, I gotta be there in the front row when Draymond Green runs up there and gives his crazy speech and yells at everybody and all that kind of stuff. That reveals their priority in this days. See, in our age, I don't think God's worried about us using our money to go build an idol. None of us here is gonna say tomorrow, I'm gonna take my bank account and build a golden calf. What we would do is take our bank account, take our time, our effort, and energy to go do stuff rather that's not God-glorifying. To spend so much time on these things, that becomes a burden on our worship, a burden on our faith. Like I said, we do all these things because we need to. No one says, oh, we can't spend time doing our job. Certainly we spend time doing our job, spend time taking care of a family, spend time even in relaxation, watching the TV and the games and the this and the that, right? But do we also prioritize God in our life? That's the challenge we have to have, to not be the ones that marginalize, to marginalize the point where we forget about it. Just like those people we talked about at the beginning that say, yes, I grew up in the church, but guess what? I feel like I do whatever I want. Sunday morning, I'm busy. I don't have time to go to church anymore. I'll just show up on Easter or Christmas. That's good enough, right? To be those people that say, hey, I don't care about, you know, praying to God. I'll pray when there's a problem. When there's a problem, sure. Then that's the time I'm going to pray, right? That's the trap I feel that Israel fell into, right? That they just, that worshiping God just became like a part of their culture. Just part of, oh, the thing we say we did. Because our, our country, we kind of had it in our country, Israel. That's the way it is. So, so we, we know how to say these words of God. But they didn't live it. We have to be the type of Christians that don't fall in that trap too. That many in the United, even the United States, right? And that we see all throughout Europe and all these other countries, right? That people fall in the trap too. That we don't fall in that same trap to be like, oh, we just... Uh, say the words of, oh yeah, we love God, but we don't act out the, the words of loving God. In verse number 14, it said, Israel hath forgotten his maker. They've forgotten it. Right? They've forgotten what, what, what God is all about. In verse 12, it says what? I have written unto them great things of my law. They've forgotten the law. They've forgotten the word. Do we forget the word? All these things I talked about today, the way we honor God is from the word. Right? That should be our priority. Our priority is to invest our time, our effort and energy into following God's word. Part of it means that we have to take that time to read it. Right? Not than said a million times, right? How many people spend hours and hours reading their Facebook posts, their stuff online, and everything like that? and not spend even one minute reading God's word. How do we know to follow God's word if we don't know what it says? That's what, exactly what Israel did back then, right? They didn't know the law anymore. They didn't care about reading it. Do we fall in that same track? Do we are we gonna say we don't know it anymore? We don't read it, we don't know. It has to be a priority in our lives to make time for it, to make time for it. 
to spend that energy doing it. Our time, our effort, our energy, our money, that's all we can give to God, right? Those are the only things that God can receive from us. Do we do it for him or do we choose to do whatever we want? Israel chose the latter. They said, let's do whatever we want. We can say we're going to cry out to God when there's a problem, but we build idols, but we build altars to sin, but we go to Assyria for help. We do all these other things. Can we say that we follow instead the right path, the right path? So that was what's chapter 8 about, the pending, pending further judgment on uh, Israel. We'll do chapter 9 next time, but we're out of time right now. So let's bow forward to prayer. Dear God, we see from our study of Hosea here that after Israel had rejected your, your merciful, your loving offer of repentance, that you've condemned them. Condemned them for all the sin in their life. And notwithstanding that from their mouth they might cry out unto you that, Lord, you know, you know their true ways. Lord, may we never fall into that trap, you know. May we always remember what it means to truly follow you. That it's not just an act through our mouth of saying, oh yeah, I love God. But an act of faith through our actions, through our, through our, through our ministry, through our everything that we do to make sure that you are our priority in your life. We might not be as great as Ken Lallman, right? Dedicating his whole life, his whole money, his whole everything to you. But may we strive to have that as our goal. To get more and more to that. Not be distracted by all the whims of the world. Instead, be drawn toward you. And your grace, your mercy, your honor, your greatness. That we have to love, honor, and glorify you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.